Uh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for uh, rescuing us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Father, we pray that as we now turn our attention to your word, uh, that you would be with us um, and help us to see Jesus even more clearly uh, so that we might draw near to you through him. And that uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, what is the story of the world? Uh, if I may speak in philosophical terms um, that make me sound a bit smarter than I actually am, uh, what is the meta-narrative uh, of the world? Uh, what is the big story, in other words, that best describes the history of this world uh, and the reality of what is happening in this world and what this world is all about? Uh, you see, friends, whether we are conscious of it or not, we all have a big story or a meta-narrative through which we see the world. Uh, it's a bit like many of us who have glasses and who see the world through the lens uh, of our glasses. Uh, we all have a lens that defines for us the structure of reality through which we see everything in this world and which profoundly shapes our lives and gives us purpose and meaning. Uh, what are some examples of meta-narratives? Well, uh, it might be that of Marxism. Uh, Marxists would say that the big story of this world is that of a power struggle between the oppressed and the oppressor. Uh, the recent Black Lives Matter movement, for example, might be an example of viewing our culture through uh, a similar kind of lens. Uh, or it might be that of feminism. Uh, feminists would say that the big story that explains the world is that of an oppressive patriarchy that seeks to uh, systematically remove uh, the rights of women in this world. Uh, this particular way of seeing the world has uh, made an enormous, had an enormous influence on our world, hasn't it? Including changing the kind of language that we speak. Or, uh, not too long ago, a popular idea was that of modernism. Uh, modernists say that the big story of the world is that of human progress through scientific endeavour. Science is the way to solve all of humanity's problems so that we might create our own heaven on earth, if you like. It took the hell of two world wars to crush such optimism. But there are still remnants of this way of thinking in the minds of many uh, in our world today. Now, of course, uh, not everything about these particular meta-narratives um, are completely false, uh, nor can they all be dismissed out of hand. Uh, there is an element of truth to, to most of them. Uh, but this morning, I, I want us to think about what is the, the big story or the meta-narrative that describes the reality of what is happening in this world, that captures the true reality of what this world is all about. Uh, well, as Oscar mentioned, uh, we are beginning uh, from today a new series on the letter to the Colossians. Uh, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, uh, although it seems that his ministry partner, uh, called Timothy, 
uh, had some sort of hand in helping Paul write this letter. Uh, it's written to a group of new Christians in Colossae, which uh, is a town in what we would now call modern-day Turkey. And I want to suggest that everything Paul writes in this letter is coloured by uh, his particular way of viewing things, his particular meta-narrative, if you like, which is the story of God's work in the gospel bearing fruit and increasing all over the world. Uh, You can see it there in chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, If you have your Bibles there, uh, turn to chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 6, where Paul speaks about the gospel hope which has come to you, notice, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Uh, You know, the Western media like to paint a narrative of Christianity on the decline, don't they? Uh, Newspapers love to report that that churches are shrinking rather than growing. Uh, Journalists love to point out that people identifying as Christians are uh, on the way down and those who are reporting as atheists are on the way up. It's only a matter of time, the story goes, before Christianity finally dies out from this world. I wonder whether sometimes uh, Christians can um, be influenced by that sort of way of thinking. But notice here what the Apostle Paul, who writes with all the authority of Christ himself, says. He says that the reality is that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing all over the world. And so, my brothers and sisters, do not believe for a second what you see in the media in this regard. Uh, Even if the church is in decline in the West, it is not the case that the gospel is going backwards. No, the story of the world that God is working out and putting into motion is the story of the gospel bearing fruit and increasing everywhere in this world. Uh, Now, friends, uh, because Paul views the world through this particular lens, notice that it shapes the things that he is thankful for. Uh, In particular, it is because Paul knows that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing all over the world that when he hears about this little group of Christians in this uh, small town of Colossae bearing fruit and increasing in their own Christian lives, well, it fills him with joy and with thanksgiving, you see. You can see it there in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You'll notice there that Paul speaks of the faith and love and hope Uh, of the Colossian Christians, uh, which is actually a combination of of words that he often uses in the New Testament to describe the Christian life, uh, faith, love, and hope. Uh, You can see there in verse 4 that Paul has heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul has heard that for this group of uh, Christians in Colossae, Jesus has become the focal point of their life. Jesus, the King or Messiah, 
has become the object of their faith and their trust and their confidence in all of life. But this faith in Christ was not just an empty or sham faith. Rather, it was one that was seen in the love that the Colossians had for all the saints. In the Bible, the saints uh, are not the people you see um, on stained glass windows, like the one behind me. Uh, You know, the ones with the dinner plate behind their heads. Uh, Nor are they the spiritual elite who are canonized as saints in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Rather, the word saints literally means the ones who are holy and the ones who are set apart in this world. And who are the ones who are holy and set apart? Well, it is all Christians. It is you and me, if we have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, who have been made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and who have been set apart for God's purposes in this world. The astonishing thing here, however, is that Paul hears of these Colossian Christians not simply showing love for uh, the Christians in their little patch in the world, but Paul hears of their love extending to all the saints, everywhere, in neighbouring towns perhaps, and all over the world. Uh, But friends, uh, here's the wonderful insight in this passage. Uh, Did you notice that the faith that the Colossians had in Christ and the love that they had for all the saints is caused by the hope that they have for the future. Their faith and their love is caused by the hope that they had for the future in heaven. In verse 5, you can see there that their faith and love is because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Uh, Some of you might know the name Florence Chadwick. Uh, Hands up if you've heard this name before, Florence Chadwick. One person. Um, Florence Chadwick was the first woman to swim the English Channel uh, in both directions. Uh, However, after this astonishing feat, uh, Chadwick um, decided to swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California uh, all the way to the mainland. Uh, Apparently the waters in this part of the world are are very rough and cold uh, and shark infested. But after failing on her first attempt, uh, she eventually made it to the end. When reporters asked her about what made the difference this time, she replied that she kept a mental image of the end. She kept a mental image of the shoreline in her mind, which drove her to keep on swimming. Uh, You see, hope drives the way you live now, doesn't it? Uh, our hope for the future affects the way we live and the way we behave now. That's what Paul is saying here. The certain hope of heaven drove the lives of the Colossian Christians. Their certain hope of heaven in the gospel caused them to trust in Jesus and to love others, especially their fellow Christians around them. But how did this hope come to the Colossians? 
Well, now you can see in what follows that it came to the Colossians when a man called Epaphras brought the gospel to the people of Colossae. Um, you can see it halfway there through verse 5. Uh, halfway through verse 5. Of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Uh, you see, it is Epaphras who we later read was a native uh, of Colossae who for, first brought the gospel to the people in this town. Uh, it is likely that Epaphras was a businessman who uh, became a follower of Jesus when he actually traveled to a neighboring town called Ephesus, um, where he heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus from the lips of the Apostle Paul himself. Uh, further, it's likely that not long after his conversion in Ephesus, uh, he came back to his native Colossae, where he proclaimed the gospel and where he wonderfully witnessed people turning to Jesus in faith. And the first church in Colossae was planted. Uh, what is the gospel? Uh, well, the gospel is the announcement of good news for the world. Uh, it would be a little bit like if there was an announcement in tonight's news that a vaccine had been found for the coronavirus disease, which would save millions of lives. It's that kind of earth-shattering news that changes everything in this world. But the Christian gospel is something even greater because it is the good news that Jesus, who died on the cross for, for our sin, has risen from the grave as the Lord of all the world so that anyone who turns to him in faith and repentance can be forgiven of sin and inherit eternal life in heaven. It is the good news, in other words, of God's grace and his mercy and his kindness towards anyone who turns to his Son for salvation. But friends, did you notice that this gospel is verbal in nature? That is, it comes in words. In verse 5, it is described, notice, as the word of truth. In verse 6, it is something that the Christians heard and understood. In verse 7, it is something that the Colossians learned from Epaphras. Uh, now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, that's a very obvious thing to say. But it is something that we need to get right because there can sometimes be a real confusion between what the gospel is and the fruit of the gospel. Uh, some of you might have heard the popular statement uh, often attributed to Francis of Assisi, which says, uh, it's coming up on the screen behind me, hopefully, uh, it says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, 
use words. Now, that may sound right to us, but it is, in actual fact, a profoundly misleading statement because it confuses what the gospel is from the fruit of the gospel, you see. The fruit of the gospel is the transformed life uh, that God affects in us through the gospel and is a wonderful thing. But no one has ever been saved from hell by Christians simply living a transformed life. However, billions of Christians, including you and me, if our trust is in the Lord Jesus, have been saved from hell because we have had an Epaphras who has come into our lives, who has spoken the gospel word about Jesus to us. Is that true of you? Who is the one who has been your Epaphras? Uh, My Epaphras was a friend called Sean, who told me about Jesus when I was only seven years old at school. Uh, Friends, uh, we need to be thankful to God for those who spoke the gospel word to us. I wonder whether we can be thankful for them today. The ones who loved us enough to come and speak these words to us, which have given us the hope of heaven, the certain hope of heaven. What a wonderful thing that really is. But equally, I want to ask this morning, who are you and I being an Epaphras to? Who are you and I being an Epaphras to? It would be quite strange, don't you think, for somebody to bring such good news to us that gives us such a certain hope for the future in love and then not to pass it on to others so that others also would know this hope. Who are you being an Epaphras to? Who am I being an Epaphras to in our lives? Uh, Now, friends, a, a wise Christian man once said to me that you can tell what is in the heart of a Christian person in one of two ways. Firstly, you can tell by looking at his credit card statement. Uh, Secondly, you can tell by the things he or she prays for. Uh, Well, we're not given Paul's credit card statement in this particular letter, but uh, we can see from his prayers that what is on Paul's heart is the big story of God growing the gospel all over the world. Uh, for, what praise, uh, for what Paul prays for these Colossian Christians, uh, whom, by the way, he has never met face to face in his life, uh, what he prays for them is that they will bear even more fruit in their lives. Uh, now, you might know that prayer is simply asking things of God. Uh, That might sound a bit selfish to us because uh, we uh, can sometimes be used to thinking of ourselves and praying for the things that we want for ourselves. But here I want you to notice that what Paul is doing is he's praying for the things he knows God wants to see happening in this world. Uh, What exactly does Paul pray for the Colossian Christians? Well, if you have a look at our passage this morning... Uh, It actually seems like he prays for a lot of different things, doesn't it? And it might seem a little bit confusing because at first glance, uh, it's such a long sentence. 
uh, from verse 9 onwards. But in actual fact, I want you to see that Paul prays for one main thing here. One main thing, which is that the Colossians might be filled with a knowledge of God's will. Uh, you can see it there in verse 9. He says, And so from the, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, what does Paul mean by God's will here? Well, uh, I want to suggest that he's not talking about God's specific guidance in the life of a Christian person. Uh, you know, that's uh, how we sometimes speak about God's will, isn't it? Uh, you know, I wonder whether it is God's will, whether I should be a lawyer or a plumber. I wish God would reveal his will to me. Uh, I wonder whether it is God's will that I should marry Leonardo or Brad. I wonder whether it is God's will that I should live in Sydney or live in London. Uh, we, we speak of God's will in those terms. Uh, it's not that God is unconcerned about the details of our lives, of course. For Jesus himself says, if you remember, that your heavenly Father knows every hair on your head which he has numbered and every sparrow that falls out of a tree. God is concerned about every detail of your life and my life. But in the Bible, the much bigger concern is not your individual plan for your life or my individual plan for my life, but on God's plans for this world. The Bible is not a story, uh, the Bible is not a book about my glory in the end, but it is a book about God's glory in this world. And so God's will is really all about God's big plan, his big purpose in this world, which is to bring all things under the rule of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is what Paul wants the Colossians to be filled with in their lives, so that they can live a life that brings glory to God. And because he knows this is a spiritual activity, well, he prays to God that he might fill them more and more with this. Uh, but friends, uh, here's the thing. It is only by knowing God's will with increasing spiritual wisdom and understanding that the Christian person will be able to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, that's why in verse 10, Paul prays that the purpose of being filled with the knowledge of God's will is so that the Colossian Christians can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him. What does it look like to live a life that is pleasing to God? Well, again, in verse 10, it looks like bearing fruit in every good work. It looks like increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, uh, if you've been looking uh, carefully, uh, you might have noticed that there is a bit of a loop going on here in this passage. Uh, a very distinguished theologian by the name of Monique New, whom I once chatted to about this passage, uh, calls this the fruit loop. Uh, not as in the sugary cereal that uh, we all loved as children, 
But the loop that describes how fruit is produced in the life of a Christian person. You know, you, you grow in God's will and understanding his plans and purposes for this world as you uh, read the scriptures. And then you live out uh, these things by doing good works that please God. But as you do these good works in love, well, you grow in your knowledge of God as you confirm just how good he is and just how good it is to live his way which then drives you back to the scriptures to discover more of his will. And so the loop continues. But finally, friends, notice that being filled with the knowledge of God's will enables a Christian person to live a powerful life. It enables us to live a powerful life. What do you think it looks like for a Christian person to live a powerful life? What is power Christianity? Does it mean great success in everything you do and touch? Does it mean a long and healthy life? Does it mean a life that is free from suffering and problems in this world? Well, listen to how the Apostle Paul describes a powerful life in the prayer he prays for the Colossian Christians. Let's pick it up from verse 11. Verse 11, May you be strengthened or empowered with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see how Paul describes the powerful life of a Christian? Look at the words he uses. Endurance. Patience. Joy. Thankfulness for the hope of heaven and the salvation we have in his son. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had dinner with some friends who have faced horrendous personal tragedy in their lives. Uh, I won't go into the details, but suffice to say, they have faced challenges that not many of us will face in our lives. And yet, I can't tell you how encouraged we were because as we sat there having dinner with them, it became very obvious that they had endured through every circumstance that had come their way. They were still trusting in Jesus through it all. They were patiently waiting for Jesus to return to wipe away their tears. They were still filled uh, with a deep joy that transcends this world. Uh, They were full of thankfulness as they told us about how good God had been to them. Uh, For they knew that in Christ uh, they have had their greatest need met, which is to be delivered 
from the darkness of sin and death and transferred into the kingdom of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom they have found forgiveness from God and the hope of a future inheritance in heaven. That is real power, friends, isn't it? And that's the kind of power that can only come from the glorious might of our God. Well, friends, uh, what is the story of the world? Uh, what is the meta-narrative of the world? What is the overarching big picture that describes the history of the world and the reality of what is happening in this world? Well, what God says in his word this morning is that the story of this world is the story of the gospel bearing fruit and increasing all over the world. But that is what God is on about, friends. And so because the Apostle Paul sees the world through this particular lens, well, he is incredibly thankful to God whenever he hears of people who are bearing fruit for the gospel in their lives. And further, he prays even for people whom he has not met face to face, that they might continue to bear even more fruit in their lives for the sake of God's glory. Uh, my brothers and sisters, do you see the world through this particular lens? Is that what your life is about? See the gospel bearing fruit and growing all over the world? Are you thankful to God whenever you see or hear of people bearing the fruit of the gospel in their lives? Do you pray, perhaps even for people you have never met face to face, like our missionaries or Christians on, other, on the other side of the world, that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will and bear more and more fruit in their lives for the gospel? You see, friends, the one who sees the world like God will be the one who is thankful and who is prayerful in such a way. Uh, let's pray that we might be the people who are like that. Let's pray. Um, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. I thank you that it is bearing fruit and increasing all over the world as it gives hope to so many people in this world. And Father, we want to thank you this morning as we remember those who, like Epaphras, brought the gospel word to us so that we might know the hope of heaven and live the life of faith in Christ and love towards all the saints. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see more and more clearly your concern for the growth of the gospel all over the world that it might affect the things that we are thankful for and the things we pray for others. Now, please forgive us for so often having a small view of the gospel, uh, being concerned for us, only for ourselves or for our own little patch. Uh, enlarge our vision for the gospel, we pray, and help us not only to speak of Jesus to others, but also to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters all around the world that they might grow in the knowledge of your will 
and live fruitful lives to the glory of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.